Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. I'm very excited to welcome you back to part two of my interview with Owen Casey. Um, 15-year Davis Cup player, three-time Olympian, and the list goes on. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I'd recommend that you do so before listening to this. And you can find part one uh, wherever you found this episode. Um, in part two, we talk about uh, Owen's experiences playing Davis Cup. We also talk about his time as Davis and Fed Cup captains and how that time came to an end. Um, we talk about the incredible success that Owen's had as, as, a, as a coach post-retirement and some of the, the, the incredible records that he, he has in, in the coaching world. We also touch on, on Irish, Irish tennis, uh, how Irish tennis has changed uh, over his time in, involved in the sport. Uh, and, and we also talk about, about or Owen talks us through his in, uh, the incredible run to victory in the Potter Cup last year of the Irish over 45s team. And, and Owen talks us through that, that incredible week and, and how they came to, to, to claim the, the trophy. Um, we also talk about um, more. He gives us a, a funny story at the end of, of, uh, from his, his tennis journey. So I think it's a, it's a really good listen. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get into it. All right, so I think we'll move on to to the Davis Cup then, Owen, if um, if we will. So for you, how big a goal was that when you were growing up to 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 play Davis Cup at, at some stage? It was one of my lifetime goals. My father used to bring me over to Fitzwilliam to watch the matches. Borg played there, uh, Guntart played there, and and many other players. So it was in Fitzwilliam back then, and lots of crowd was there. So it was just having grown up watching it for maybe eight or nine years, like at eight or nine years of age. And then to be suddenly be at 15 years of age, asked to be the fifth man on the team. Yeah. Was, uh, it was, it was a goal achieved, but at the same time, I wasn't officially on the team just yet. So uh, watching the likes of Sean Sorensen, Matt Doyle, uh, Michael Hickey, these guys, they're all inspirational towards me. And uh, it was something I always wanted to do. So how did, you kind of get used to it, you know, over the years that you played Davis Cup, how did, you know, you kind of fit into the team and, and then obviously you were one of the, you know, the, the, the major players on the team towards the end of your, your, yeah, your look, time. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, I guess, I guess being on as the fifth man, you're around these guys, you kind of see how they act and see how they behave. And then suddenly, you know, Matt moved on and Sean moved on. Suddenly it's my time. Yeah. Um, I love team competition and tennis is individual. So when you get to Davis Cup, I always felt my best results were certainly in Davis Cup, particularly, you know, at home because the crowds were massive. Uh, you know, they talk about football, you know, the 12th man. So it was the same in, te- in the tennis, especially the home matches, away matches. Again, it was, it was obvious for the home team when we were playing away. Yeah. It was very tricky. Um, so it was, uh, it was always a joy, always a joy to play at home, particularly with the spectators, the amount of support we got. Yeah, no, I have to ask, um, the match you played in 2000 against Croatia when Ivanisevic, Karlovic would have come over. How do, how do you look back on, on, on that tie and, and that week, weekend? Um, that was up there. It's probably the, the, the best match that I would have been in in regards to players attending. Um, Goran, yeah. obviously, everyone knows him. Karlovic was up and coming. Mario Ancic was on the team as well, who won Junior yeah. Wimbledon. Um, so I was fortunate to play Gorn in the first match. Uh, I managed to take a set off in which I was, I guess, delighted. Uh, yeah. It helped me. For, I went over past videos watching him play to try and get an idea of his serve. 
the patterns he had. So he, I think the previous year, sorry, that year he played Leighton Hewitt. I don't know what round it was. And I, I videotaped the match especially and then I watched it back over twice to get some idea of his patterns. And basically what he used to do is if he served to the forehand side and the juice side, then he'd serve to the forehand side and the ad side. And then okay. he'd serve to the backhand side and the juice side. He'd serve to the backhand side and the ad side. So he kind of copied, you know, whatever side, whatever, wherever he served in the, in the juice side, he served to the ad side. So that helped me a lot. But then, you know, he's smart. So he copped on that I was reading this. Like the first set I lost, uh, I think six four second set of one seven five. So I was getting a good read on a serve, but then um, the the third and fourth set he won relatively easy six two six three for the simple yeah. reason is he copped on and I was going one way he was going the other, but uh, that definitely was one of the the most uh, most important matches for me to be playing with these guys. I think it was, it was a great experience yeah. and a great opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and this, on that on on Davis Cup, I know that you. Um, had a, like an incredible uh, 22 match um, win streak, and, and that was only broken uh, maybe one or two years ago by, <laughs> by Nadal. So, like that, that's quite a quite an achievement to have. Uh, yeah, look, um, I, it's it, 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 it was an it's an amazing achievement uh, to have 20 that many matches, 22 competitive matches. Uh, so basically, I held the record for 19 years, and then this popped up in, in, in on Facebook. That, yeah. Uh, Rafael Nadal now has the record. Uh, then Wayne Ferreira, who was top six in the world, followed by Wayne Ferreira and myself were number six, or sorry, number two. Uh, yeah. Number three on the all-time list was uh, Alejandro Fela from Colombia. Again, top 15, top 20 player. And fourth, but by no means least, John McEnroe. So, um, you know, I, I, if, if you're going to lose any record, you want to lose to Rafa, obviously, or Novak or Roger. But to be ahead of John, John would have been one of my idols growing up. Yeah. But now I look, it, it, again, it's one of those things when you're, when you're playing Davis Cup, you're not thinking about this. It's an honor no, to play for yeah. the country. You're playing with, with fellow countrymen and it's, it is good fun. But when you look back at that type of record, um, it, was, it was very, very, uh, very it, was a, it was a great achievement for me, but very also humbling to be in that kind of, wow, I, I, you know, that was me, that was the level I played that so uh, so to be unbeaten for for that amount of matches and then for the record to stand 19 years is it's pretty decent it's good it's, I'm proud of it very proud absolutely of it. yeah and, and so you should be now it's incredible um, and then I know that you you then went on to have time as as Fed Cup and, and Davis Cup captain so how were those experiences for you um, to have that role um, in the initial in the initial stage is really good particularly Fed Cup because we've been in Division 3 for many many years and I took over and we got promoted immediately. Uh, we went down to South Africa, we got promoted. Then we played in Division 2, which was in uh, Portugal the following year. Now, there's some serious teams there, Holland, Switzerland, people like, people like that. So it was really, and Israel as well. So a lot of good teams that were just slightly out, outside the world division. Um, we did really well there. We lost 2-1 to, to, to the Dutch team and then we lost. I can't remember who this, the second match we played. But we, lost, we, we gave a good account of ourselves considering yeah. the girls weren't at this level. Like you're talking you know, players top 40 in the world and doubles players as well. Um, so we had a lot of success with that. And then I guess towards the end, uh, one of the years we we're heading down to Turkey and our top two players pulled out literally at the, on, on the day before we were supposed to travel. Uh, Kelly Ligon wasn't given her financial uh, assistance by the association. That was one of the agreements she had. And then her number two, uh, Anne Moll from America, she pulled out 
again on the, on the day before yeah. we left. So we had two members of the original team. I think it was uh, maybe Yvonne and Rachel Dillon going. And then Tennis Ireland had to get two extras, two extra people. Um, and I think, I, I, I know Amory Hogan was one of them and she, fair play to her for, for helping out. I don't know if we went down with a fourth, not 100% sure. But we lost our relegation match uh, to Greece 8-6 in the third. So now we're back in Division 3 again. And so I was brought over to Tennis Ireland for a debriefing, quote-unquote. But when I got over there, there was a, a other people waiting outside the door and I inquired what were they waiting for because I was supposed to be there for 11 they said they brought Fed Cup I said whoa uh, so it sounded to me like I was being interviewed for the job so yeah, through no fault of my own um, you know the, the team lost and having had so much success with them and then being yeah. given this team to try and defend it was I thought we did really well in fact, I mean I said it to the girls given, given what we did and how far we came in the week and how close we were it was an ama- it was a very good achievement but I guess Tennis Ireland had their own agenda so on the back of that I resigned from both uh, the, 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 the Fed Cup job and the Davis Cup job with immediate effect because they obviously had other things on the agenda so which didn't fit mine yeah that's it's very unfortunate like how, how did you feel then you know having having to resign I felt let down because I think that, like my, my record was was exemplary uh, for the simple reason is you know first first time out we had not we had not been promoted ever well I don't know how many years but certainly five or six years I mean coming close was probably the best thing we ever did I get a first time out we get promoted and then we're playing with the big guys you know as I said in Portugal then in Malta we played against uh, Elena Bell Thatcher a lot of people remember her mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah. she passed away a few years ago God rest her soul Anna Kjotovan, again, top 50 player from England, now the Fed Cup coach there. So there's a lot of good players, even, you know, we lost to England 2-1 and, you know, the results were there. We, we, were, to- we were knocking on the door to get back up into Division 2 again, but we always lost in the finals. Yeah. Um, and we lost competitively. It wasn't like we got blown away. Um, so, you know, when we went down to Turkey, same team as the previous year, and I'm thinking, great, we should, we should get up again. And to have the two girls, and again, they have their own issues with, with the association and whatever Anne's position was, to pull out at the last second. So, you know, I th- as I said, I thought we did really well to, to, to do what we did. And all credit to the girls for, for putting that, that amount of effort. Because I think we only had three girls going down. And that's, that's a lot over the course of a week when you've got to play two singles and a doubles. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to look at your kind of your time in, in coaching more, more generally, um, well, firstly, was was that always your plan? Like when you were younger and playing to, to move into the coaching world, was that always your, your, no, your, your plan? No, I don't think so. No, my, I wouldn't have been looking that far ahead. Uh, certainly when I was 13, 14, and when I decided to go to college and, and play professionally, it was literally just that. It yeah. was more towards the end of my career when I decided, well, what's, what's best for me? And, you know, I love the sport. Tennis has been very good to me. And I wanted to give back and, you know, try and, and I, and I think I have done train successfully players that have gone on to do many things, you know, on the international stage, Davis Cup stage, Fed Cup, college tennis, and domestically and even club level. I think I, I've had a lot of success with all those type of players, and I'm fortunate to be able to work with good players that that I can bring on and nurture, and whatever goals they have, I can help them achieve them. Well, I think you're absolutely right that you've you've had some incredible success in in the coaching world. Um, you know some incredible stats that can kind of back that up. Um, 
I know in, in fits, uh, 28 uh, winners of, of singles events and uh, further 25 runner, runner, runners up in, in, in your time. And then on top of that, uh, you've coached two, two kind of top juniors that reached uh, top, top 40, top 30 ITF rankings in, in Georgia Drummy and John Morrissey would have gone to, to Grand Slams with them. Uh, and I also would have gone to the Junior Olympics with, with John in, in uh, 2010. So how were those experiences working with those really top players as well internationally? Uh, it's great bring it is it's 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 i guess it's it's the fruits of your work um i guess with john i traveled the most with him um we did three grand slams in 2010 plus the world youth olympics so wimbledon i did french open i did and us open so you're in these big cities again you're walking around the venues that you see on tv you see all the you know the top players play etc John got to warm Nadal up at the French Open, which was an amazing wow. thing for him. Yeah. yeah, he's got tons of photographs, and he keeps showing me. <laughs> yeah. So fair play to him. Um, but I guess uh, the the Youth Olympics was one of the best things for me because obviously I'd been to three of them. Now I'm going back to his, this is his first, and from about three weeks out, I was preparing him very well. We had we had heat training, so that was putting kind of bin liners close to the skin, followed by t-shirts, followed by sweatshirts. Know, two sweatshirts on, two tracksuit bottoms yeah. on, indoors, just to get used to the climatization and the amount of water he's going to need. Because in Singapore, it's very humid. And on the flight over there to Singapore from London, uh, the, the Irish team were asleep. I kept him awake because I knew when we get there, it's going to be their morning, which is our mm. nighttime. So I kept giving them loads and loads of digs, telling them to wake up. So anyway, the long and short is we settled in within two to three days of arriving, whereas the rest of the team took about five or six days to, 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 to acclimatize. So during that week, again, get a great week. Um, started out in the first round, he beat uh, a guy called uh, Duty Beretta from Colombia. Now, Beretta made French Open semifinals that year. He won the French Open and the US Open doubles in juniors, and he's number four. So John wow. takes yeah. this guy down, and like it's an amazing result. His, his stats were off the charts. Unforced errors were... You know, under ten. I mean, certain percentages, eighty to ninety percent. But the whole week, like he played Oliver Golding from England, beat him straight sets. Golding went on that year to win the U.S. Open. So that shows you he was yeah. in great form. Uh, he eventually lost to a guy called Yuki Bambri in the quarterfinals, four and four. Now he wins that match. He's in a medal contention. Bambri went on and actually lost the finals. And subsequently, Bambri now is maybe top one fifty. So that was really a huge thing for him. Uh, with Georgia, um, I had the pleasure of working with her, you know, in kind of 16, like 17, 18, when she was on the ITF tour. Um, she got as high as 39, John got as high as 30. And then subsequently, when George is at home and working with her, and last year at the Irish Open, she had an amazing success uh, winning it. Um, back in 2004, I worked with Yvonne Doyle, and she won that, that year. That was in Glasgow, and I remember that so well because. She's playing a German girl and she's six four six sorry, she's four one down for a set and this girl was just literally playing everything cross court and Yvonne wasn't reading it and I was praying for rain. Praying for rain. A bit, a bit like Michael Schumacher if he's losing. And uh, it did rain. So I got her inside and I explained, look, this girl's not going down the line, she's hitting every ball cross court. Just wait, pick your moment, bang yeah. it down the line, forehands and backhands, and let's see what happens. She she ends up winning six four, six one. Uh, so it was a huge so, so Yvonne went into the 2004 and then George again last year when she was playing her semi-finals and just won 
I'd managed to watch uh, Anna Botel, another Irish girl, the girl was playing, a French girl in the other semi-finals. And I managed to watch about 15 minutes of it. And I took notes on both the girls and what they're doing, the tendencies. So when Georgia went out and played the French girl, she had all the things that this girl did and didn't do on the, on the court. Yeah, yeah. And I think she won 6 one, six, two, relatively comfortable. One or two, you know, it, it's just when you prepare kids to, or players to go out and play and they execute the game plan, it's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, for, for those guys, you know, those, those results were, were huge. Um, you know, to win something like that for, for, for Georgia. I think John of 15 won the Irish uh, ITF, the youngest kid ever to win an ITF here in Ireland. So he did really well on that. But look, as you said earlier on, you know, if 28 winners and 25 runners up from Junior Fitzwilliams, not everybody wants to play professional. Not everybody wants to play college. Everybody wants to play tennis to their level. And to have 28 winners and 25 runners up, I guess it, it's, a, it's a pretty decent record considering I've only been coaching about 22, 23 years. Absolutely, so yeah. That I can help all these individuals, but um, I think traveling with those guys, you know, it gives you, as I said, it, it, it's a bit of a reward for all the hard work you've put in. So that's, Absolutely. that's, that's the part I like. Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, um, on, on George's win last year in, in the Irish Open, I, I do remember I was I was there uh, watching that match and, and, you know, incredible performance. You know, she was, you know, she looked very comfortable, but it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, you're saying you were, you know, going through the notes and, looking at the patterns of, well, of the it, opponents. To... Yeah, that's, but this is the thing. If you know what's coming up, then there's no surprises. Yeah. Uh, now, there always is in the back of your mind, maybe, does she do something different? And, if she, and I said that to Georgia, look, this is what I observed. Um, you know, if there is anything different, <clears throat> you will have to react to it. But yeah. right now, this is what I think she will do. And the girl virtually did, did what I thought she would do. Yeah. Which now Georgia now knows, okay, no. this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, that that was the thing. The match was over so fast. The other girl didn't have a chance to get into a rhythm uh, or to execute the game plan. As I always say, you know, it, when you have all the information in front of you, that's great. But then now you have to go ahead and execute it. And she couldn't have done it any better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what kind of success do you see Georgia having? How do you see her oh, future maybe she's going? Got a, she's got an amazing game. She's tall, very powerful. Um you know, I trained with her quite a lot over COVID. She's 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 now transferring to Duke University. I think. Yeah, I know the like the U.S. Open is on right now. I don't know what's going to happen with college tennis. Duke University is in an yeah. amazing conference. The SEC, it's an amazing school. The McGuire sisters went there, um, so for golf, so it, it's got a it's steeped in history with sport. If if they can get out and play in the fall when tennis is supposed to, well, should resume, then I think it'll be great for her. I think if she doesn't have any competition, I think, and it's not just for her, it's for everyone that's, it, you know, it, it's going to hinder. I think that unless the college kids get competition, those who are on the tour are going to probably streak ahead or get further ahead. One, playing ranking, getting ranking points, but two, matches, competitive matches. You know, it's yeah. very fine playing against your own teammates. But George, I think, you know, Fingers crossed. I think she has the game. I really do believe she has the game that can go very far. She's a le she's left-handed as well, which makes her very difficult to play against. Um, so, yeah, no, I think if, if she stays healthy and gets the opportunity, and it is about opportunities, really. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that you can be on the good side of a run. Nicholas Lepenti in 2000 and maybe, sorry, not 2000, about 95 or 96, 
800 in the world, wins two circuits, wins a couple of Grand, uh, uh, Grand Prix events and goes from 800 to 150 and then top 50, gets on the roll. Yeah. It's one of those things. If she gets on a roll, then who knows? Yeah, no, I think we're all going to be, you know, following her and, you know, behind her fully. So, oh, look, yeah, like, look I, I think I'd love, I'd love to see, uh, that might not, I, I think, you know, it's her goal, but, you know, can she achieve her goal? I think so. I think so. And I think, um, as I said, it, it is about staying healthy. And I think if she does stay healthy and gets the opportunities, I think we can see great things from her. Absolutely. Um, now, in coaching, well, what's your kind of coaching philosophy? What, what do you kind of take the course? Um, look, I, I try and I develop the kids to the best of their ability. And, you know, everybody's different. So you have to adapt your ways. I think initially at the start, I was quite, quite uh, military style. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who knows me used to say it's very, very hard. Uh, and maybe I was, I guess, you know, it's, you know, the, the coaches I had in America were like this. So that's kind of, you know, the coaches I had initially were kind of softy, softy. Then I had two very tough coaches. So I felt, okay, let's be tough. Um, and it worked. But then I guess, you know, you can either, you, you just, there's, there's different ways you can coach. It just depends on the individual. But it, it's very centered, learning, learning centered. It's about, the, the, the students, enjoy, first of all, enjoying the game, uh, reaching their potential, uh, having fun, um, and getting a sport, obviously, for life. Uh, when you look at how many sports you can play for life, there's not, there's not, that lot, not, not a lot that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, just to, to look on to uh, Irish tennis for, for a little bit, if, if that's okay. Um, you're, you're obviously yeah. someone who's been in, in Irish tennis and been at the very top of Irish tennis for... Well, for, for many years, um, well, what big changes do you have? You do you think you've seen in within Irish tennis? How do you think things have have changed for the better or, or, or for the worse? Yeah, I think for the better, the coaching is getting better. Uh, there's a lot more knowledge out there. I guess social media helps as well because you get some different ideas on on, on those type of platforms. Um, we've we've got more indoor courts. I would still like to see more. I don't see why every club like in you know cannot have you know, an air hole. I know it's expensive, that, don't get me wrong, but I think that's something that the national body and, and certainly the sports council should look at because given the current climate with COVID, tennis is one of the better sports to play. Um, the player base is still quite small. It's very healthy at the younger ages, but then there's a drop off. So I think yeah. from that point of view, maybe structure the tournament slightly different that you don't play you know you get this kid who goes out and he plays the number one seed and he loses the next week he plays number two seed first round he loses that's not brilliant <clears throat> I think if we try and separate those guys a little bit to let the top guys play and let the other guys kind of fall in because you can develop later in tennis as well like you know not all champions are born at six years of age you know there are kids who develop late and I think if we give them a chance to you know to develop and and, and grow because the bodies grow as well uh, who knows what could happen but i think it, that's one of the things which i would be keen to see is just a better competition structure within ireland um, so that kids can feel success also failure as well because that that's the other motivating factor um, but i certainly you know if you're going out every week and you're losing you're losing you lose that's kind of hard to get motivated yeah, and there's one point I want to, to kind of put to you and see what you make of it. And it's a point that has been made on the podcast before. 
um, is about kind of our, our top players playing the domestic events, um, which, you know, potentially would, would inspire juniors who, who are around watching, you know, if you look at the big events. I know that's something that, that you, um, 2000, you, you did it and you, you, know, you play all the domestic events. You, you had a big, I think you, you won them all in, in 2000. So, you know, with someone who's had that experience, like what, what do you think of that point, that, that that's something that will, will help grow, grow tennis as well? Well, I think that's very important because, in two, as you said, in 2000, um, it had never been done before. I won all domestic events. Um, and that year I won the Futures in Mount Pleasant as well. So that accumulated to 11 straight tournaments without, without a loss. Um, these clubs can advertise because obviously I'm Davis Cup player. So you can advertise that the Davis Cup and three-time Olympics Olympians come to the club. Yeah. So you're down on Sunday as well. You're down in Douglas. You're down in Limerick Lawn. You know, wherever you go, Galway, tennis club. I've played anywhere there was a tournament I played. Um, uh, and I think it's, it's you know, there was, a, when I say crowds, okay, you're not talking thousands, but you're talking hundreds would come out and watch. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> when you ask a child, who is Georgia Drummy or who is, you know, Conan Ireland or any of these guys, they probably would know them, but not necessarily the ones that are number two, three or four. So I think if 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 the the, the players the problem I think is that the, the, their schedule probably doesn't allow it. But when they finish playing, and they yeah. are here in Ireland, there's nothing to stop them playing because you know again it's competition, it's healthy, and as you rightly pointed out, everyone needs a role model, and one of my role models aside from my father, um, but you know growing up watching Matt Doyle and Sean Sorensen, they would be yeah. one of my role models and. I think you know if you're in eleven years of eleven years of age, you know, watching, you know, a Davis Cup player or whatever. I think you would be motivated to, to try and be like them. So I think it is important that they should be playing more. That's that, like I did it from '97 to 2000, I think. So I retired in '97 or '96. So the summer of '97, '98, '99, 2000, I yeah. played all the tournaments. Yeah, so yeah. That, that was just happened to be my better year. And just on that, then two thousand. I know you, um, or that even um, around that that time, you you had the the highest ATP mover. Uh, yeah. About that. <laughs> okay, so obviously I I'm retired, so I don't have a ranking. So I'm relying on wild cards. So I get a wild card into Mount Pleasant. So I have no ranking points. So I win it. So obviously yeah. I don't know how many points now I get. <laughs> so I, I I'm going from zero to about six fifty. Yeah. Now, zero back then would have been maybe 1,200. I don't know how many players were on the computer at that stage. So I've moved ballpark about, what, 600, 600, 600 spots, 700 yeah. spots on. So <laughs> no one's yeah. going to, like, no one's now, if someone was 600, yeah, for someone 600 in the world to move that many spaces, they'd need to win Wimbledon. That's yeah. it. That, that's the amount of points you'd need. So it was kind of it was it was it's nice to see it that I'm the highest mover on the ATP tour, yeah. <laughs> but you know on, on the back of one tournament. But uh, yeah, no, it's just again it's one of those things you kind of oh I am the highest mover, but yeah. at the same time it's it's quite funny. But look, it's another it's another achievement. I mean, it's not often you get these things, but uh, I guess you know that that win was very special for me to win the home and then to get that highest mover. Look, that's. It's it's the it's the icing on the cake, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, very good. Uh, now, are there any other points you'd make about Irish tennis, or what what could be done in the future? Any other points you'd make? Uh, look, I I just think competition. You know, obviously, you know, money doesn't give give you success. 
let's let's make that you know 100 positive because um you can have all the money in the world but if the person doesn't have the motivation or the desire and the commitment to to play professional and to commit all those hours and it is it's a very lonely existence uh, then you're throwing money down the drain so you knew you do need finances i think the competition you definitely need more of that um facilities in terms of indoors definitely need more of that court surface we're changing it some of the clubs now are getting in a red clay which is very similar to the to what you see in, in the french open but it's not actually it's on a carpet it, it does suit our weather um, I, in the club that I'm in, Fitzwilliam, they're changing their courts. I've played on it. It's amazing. Um, and I would definitely recommend all clubs to change because Fitzwilliam have done a very, very smart thing by changing. And the members are very happy with it. Um, so I think those things, if we get that sorted, um, I think that would help um, because it's, you know, nowadays with the court the way it is, it's very fast. Um, if it's wet, it's even faster. And it doesn't really lend itself to, to, to developing the point. It just lends itself yeah. to if I can slap the ball quickly, then I can win the point. Yeah, you know, I think those are really good, really good points. Um, just a few more questions for you, Owen. Uh, a few more questions. Yep. Um, what kind of advice would you give to, to junior players that are you know looking to, to, to make their Oof, way in tennis? Um, practice, play, practice matches, for sure, because the amount of matches, like, I think the ITF guidelines is 60 matches plus under the age of 14 where the outcome is in doubt now the outcome yes. in doubt means 6-4-7-5 not 6-1-6-love um, so more practice matches probably better discipline in terms of their their, their, their focus you know they pre-match warm-up or pre-practice warm-up stretching diet stuff like that um, I think by and large they do a lot of things right and I think the coaches have done a good job with all that but there's, the, you know, playing matches, you know, there's this kind of maybe idea that you always have to play up. Um, my idea on that is if you play up, all you're doing is learning to lose. So if, you know, when I was yeah. number one in Ireland, who do I play with? Yeah. If I'm theoretically, well, I am number one. Who do I play with? There's no, there's no one above me. And I'm not going to go to England or France to train. So I would play local players. But what I would do is I would handicap myself. I would only give myself one serve. Um, I would only... Uh, I couldn't hit a winner. Um, I had to hit the ball eight or nine times before I could pull the trigger. There's loads of like, you know, playing sets where I'm I'm minus forty and the other person is zero. So I've got to yeah. win double points in order to get the game. So it, that is very mental. It's it's a huge. As a kid growing up in Riversdale, uh, I played a family mixed with my mom, and obviously she was very good. And we we're minus sixty. So you know, 60, 50, 40, 30, 15, scratch. 15 love, 30 love, 40 love game. So 10 points per game we had to win. So you can imagine we weren't blasting the ball. It was very, very um, strategic, you know, yeah. and, and that's where I learned the value of a point. And I think um, that's that's one thing, you know, I, I try to, to instill in, in the kids I teach is that the value of a point is massive. It's not something you can throw away because, you know, now that they've changed the scoring system within the juniors, it's a sudden death. There's only seven points available, whereas normally there's unlimited points. So yeah. the value of a point has become much more important. So I think, you know, match practice and just general diet, stretching, looking after their health, I think would be the things I would be encouraging more. Yeah, that's really interesting about the you know, value of the point. I think, I think that's a really good point. Um, and then I, I know a, a big highlight of your, I think it was last summer, uh, your, your, your playing was, was in, in the Potter Cup. 
Uh, if if yeah. you went over with a well, with I, I, I had two highlights. I had two highlights last year. Uh, one was I had four girls on the same day being Irish number one. I had Lena Carantelli, number one at 14. I had Rita Brennan, number one at 16. Juliana Carton, number one under 18. And Georgia Drummy, number one senior. All turned number one on the same day. That's never Incredible, been achieved. Yeah. I don't think it'll ever be. Yeah, it's, I was cop. I, I, I kind of had an idea, but things had to work out. And they did work out. And yeah. Very proud of that. Um, Incredible. So that was yeah. one achievement. The other one was Potter Cup. Now that was that's an amazing story because the Potter Cup it goes on in Spain every year. Top countries are, are asked. So you've got Italy, France, USA, Ireland, England, Belgium, and Germany. Now Germany didn't show up last year. Um, they kind of sometimes never show up. So they put a, a, a the club that were in Real Club de Barcelona. They put in their own team, which is okay. very good. So last year uh, at the draw, Jeff was the American coach. He draws Ireland. So our team is Garvin O'Neill on non-playing captain. Myself, Scott Barron, Stuart Doyle, John Rendina, Ross Nyland, Connor's brother. Uh, I'm sure he hates me for saying that. And Alan Donnelly from Nace. So we're down in Barcelona. The lads get there Wednesday. We're training. So we, the draw is done Thursday. So we draw America, which is not a bad draw. Uh, they only happen to have Michael Byrne, of course, who's former French Open finalist and top 10 ATP Tour player, Tobias Fenderson, top 50 singles, doubles player, and three other good players. One of them made the NCAA finals. So these guys are all, we're, it's an over 45 event, so you have to go back 45 mm-hmm. years. Well, not 45 years, but certainly 20, 30 years. To, 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 for, so if you're the final of the NCAA, you're a good player. So Jeff's delighted. The American coach delighted that he's drawn Ireland. We always have good matches against Ireland, and I'm sure you do. So they are th- five singles. They're three two up on us. Now they put Pernforce at number three, Svensson at number four, and this other guy at number five. But the number one and two. Number one wasn't. I think they maybe tried to. He was. He was definitely the youngest and the fittest, but not the best. Yeah. And their number two was really good. Number two was the NCA finalist. So Stuart Doyle got a great win for us to give us 3-2. We're down 3-2. If Stewie loses that match, we're out. Yeah. So now we're playing. And the rule is their number one has to play the first doubles. So mm. their weaker player has to play first doubles. So they put their number one and the number five pair together. So we put in Scott and Stuart and the boys destroyed them. Destroyed them. So myself and John are playing uh, Pernforce and Sventerson. And it got very heated. Um, we won the first set. Two Irish lads playing these lads. We won the first set. Um, they weren't happy because they were maybe expecting us to roll over. We lose the second set. So myself and John I said, John, let's go for a toilet break. So we were walking to the toilet. I said, John, we've got 10 points to win here. That's all we need is 10 points. Yeah. And we're in the next round. Now we did it. And John played amazing. We played, we had a good little strategy. Nothing went to Pern Force. You served to Pern Force. That was it. That's all he did. <laughs> Every ball went to Svensson after that. And we just worked it out. So we got that win. Then the next match, we're playing Spain. Stuart Doyle plays us this audio clip from WhatsApp from a good friend of his from Spain. And this guy's, we, we shouldn't actually show up tomorrow because the Spanish team is so good. And he's like, yeah, good luck to you guys. You'd be lucky to win the set. So uh, the long and short is we're 2-1 down. 2-1 down the singles. I win my match. Our number four and our number three lose. Our, sorry, our number, yeah. My number two and our number five lose. And I win. Stuart, uh, John Rendine is in a massive match, three sets. 
and Scott's playing Alex Moran. Alex Moran is top former 80 in the world. And Scott loses the first set. Unbelievable tennis. Played really, really well. 6-4, nothing in it. But Moran pulls his hamstring. So, can't play. So, okay. the rule states, if you withdraw from singles, you can't play doubles. Mm. So, Scott said, look, you can play the doubles. Don't worry about us. There's no way he's going to play doubles. He can hardly walk. But John Rodina pulls the rabbit out of the bag. He's three love down and 40-15 down. Throws in an underarm serve. The guy freaks out. <laughs> um, John wins that 6-3. So now we're in the doubles. And then Stuart and John beat these two guys who came fourth in the World Championships in, in 2018. Okay, yeah. So, Seth and Scott were set up against the number ones. The two boys won two and one. I mean, they must have just played serious tennis. So now we're in the final. Like the, the Paddies were yeah, in the yeah. final. Hey! I'm sure Jeff is loving this. And then, um, so as we're walking, we're on the outside courts. There's two center courts. The Italians are playing the French. And it's, it's it's coming down to two doubles, and it's it's just a barn burn of a match. And it, we're up, showered, fed in yeah. the hotel room, and uh, Garvan, non-playing captain, he's down watching these lads. He's like, lads, still no sign of these these matches finishing. So the longer this goes on, the better it is. For yeah, us. yeah. And I wanted I wanted France to win because they had a tough match against England in the first round. It went the same. They should have lost to England, but they squeaked out two doubles championship tiebreakers. So the French beat the Italians. That's good as far as I'm concerned because they're they're more tired. Yeah. So now we play the French on the final day. And we start at 10 a.m. So Scott wins his match three sets. Stuart wins his match three sets. So they're off. Myself, Alan Donnelly and John Rodina are still on. I lose my match three and five in two and a half hours that's how long the match was Alan is over there in the court beside me he cramps he's winning beautifully nicely but then cramps so Rendina is so it's two all after singles so John is out there and he is busting it at 1.59pm four hours later he has his first match point now we're in Barcelona in May so it's quite hot uh, everybody's watching it even all the other teams are watching it the tennis is incredible how these yeah. lads are standing after four hours and remember we're over 45 we're not 50 so anyway doesn't Johnny get the result and he is just on the ground wiped out exhausted so like the French now obviously disheartened and it's 4 it's it's 2pm so we have to eat Yeah. so we go up and you know, we said look we need minimum one hour that's the minimum we need but it's a Sunday up in Barcelona so like you know it's siesta the club is thronged with people, so trying to get food is a nightmare. So, like, it's 45 minutes before we get our starter, which is just a bowl of soup. So, how long is it going to be before we get our pasta? Anyway, so about an hour, an hour and a half later, we're walking down, team talk, Garvin's right, right, lads, this is the team, this is what they're going to play. But remember, these guys now are tired. They had a long match against England and a long match against Italy. So, here come the Irish, and we're walking down. And the Spanish captain goes, congratulations. And I, oh, yeah, 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 thanks. No, 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 congratulations. Yeah, no, we've got to play good doubles. No, no, you've won. What? The French, they can't feel the team. All the players, they're either injured or too tired. Right? So we're like, mm, that sounds suspicious to us. I think, because this lad's a bit of a joker. He's winding <laughs> so. So we head down further down the road. And then Ross Madison, who's the, I think he's general manager, not general manager, he's big in, in, in uh, Wimbledon. He goes, and he's from Scotland, former player. Well done, lads. He's won. 
And like, is it true? And he goes, yeah, the French just, they're knackered, they can't do it. So Ireland has won the Potter Cup. And it's the first time in, I'd say, 48 years. So if yeah. you look at the, 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 the name board, it's got, you know, Italy, USA, Germany, Russia, America, America. They just all the, the top names. So yeah. Ireland, Ireland is on it for, for 2019. So it was huge. So anyway, we get these little cups. Sorry, you get the trophy, but you get a little replica. Now the tr- it kind of reminds me of the Ashes. When I first saw the Ashes trophy, I was like, wow. Where's where's the real trophy? It's tiny. So the, you have the big one, which they they keep, but they gave us the small one. So Ross Nyland, who's now the CEO of Queens, so he goes out on the Queens number one court and takes a photograph of the cup in the background of Queens. Then he brings it to Wimbledon, and he puts it up against the men's and the women's um, trophies. Yeah. It's just like it's it's it was really it was it was well done, uh, an amazing result. Um, like my first Irish cap, I was I got it with uh, the under 12s down in Greystones. Harry Barnival, God rest his soul, who did a lot for Irish tennis. Myself, Gavin Blake, Joe Mulvin, Fintan Brandon. We played the Swedes and the Dutch down in Greystones, and it's the old Greystones, not the new one. Anyone who knows the old Greystones beside the Latouche Hotel, uh, that was my first cap. So I would have been 11. Yeah. And then I'm still playing, still playing for for Ireland. You know what is that? 39 years later, at, at 49. Um, so it was uh, really, really special to, to continue playing international and represent the country, but certainly part of Cup. And, you know, with the lads, all those boys that, I, that we played, I played Davis Cup with, with half of them and I knew half of them. You know, and that's what makes it special. Um, I've been asked to do it before, but just with other, you know, time constraints and other things, I, I, I spent time with the team that we had and I cleared the schedule because Garvin had made me aware that this is going to be a special team. Yeah. Um, I said, right, let's do it. Um, but it, like, look, heading over on, on, on the plane, there's no way if you said to me, you're going to be in the final, I'm going to say, well, has half the draw dropped out? I think we're capable of winning a match. But just depends on the draw. I think we're, the draw suited us very well. It got us off to a good start. We got a great <clears throat> belief with the squad. Um, and then the next day, the Spanish match, you know, we could have easily been 4-1 down. You know, Scott loses to Moran if he stays healthy, and then John loses that match. We're four-one. We're done. Yeah. Moran yeah, pulls yeah. the hamstring. John pulls the rabbit out of the hat. Out of the hat. In fact, John put a lot of rabbits out of the hat that week. Fair play to him. Um, but like he did a lot of training for it. We all did training for it. That's the thing. We took yeah. it seriously. From <clears throat> the boys went down to Nace. Alan's a member of Nace. He got the, he got his clay court time down there, all in the gym. You know, so we did take it seriously. When you see someone putting the hours in and in the gym, you kind of feel guilty. You know, you're sitting there having your bottle of wine. You go, hmm, maybe I should do a little extra because if they're putting in the work, I better put in the work. So it was really, it was good, great team spirit. And it was, uh, I was, it was great weekend. Great weekend. One Incredible, out of yeah. And I, yeah. I remember seeing at the, seeing a video of the prize ceremony and seeing some, some questionable dancing at the, at the prize ceremony. That was me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, it, it's, it was, we, we couldn't believe it. Like when we got down to that area and they said we'd won, we're just, oh, it was elation. Yeah. You know, because even at the lunch now, like I remember sitting at the table, I have an Apple Watch. My heart rate was 122 beats sitting <laughs> yeah. down. That's how nervous I was because we're at the point of making history. Like this, yeah. It's one of the top over 45 events in the world. Now, as I'm sitting, t- sitting with you here, my heart rate's probably about 68. You know, so it's double. Yeah. It's like I've gone yeah. out for a jog, yet I'm sitting down having a bowl of soup. Yeah. Um, so it was just 
it's, it's so nervous. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, Olympics match points, stuff like that. You're feeling those type of nerves. And I had, look, I haven't felt those nerves in a long time. Yeah. You know, it's been a long time since I felt those nerves. So it was, it was great, unique, but a little bit scary as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, incredible stuff. Um, and just to finish off, Alan, I know you have a, a, a funny story um, about Fergus, oh. <laughs> involves Fergus Murphy. To, to... <laughs> yeah. So um, during one of the, the, the future events that we had here in Ireland, it was in Riverview. So um, this is kind of a tribute to one of my friends, Igor Gaudi. So he obviously heard the first podcast. I have a lot of friends in the world on Facebook. So they listen to the podcast and Igor was like, well, why didn't you mention me? <laughs> so here you go, Igor. So Fergus Murphy, who was then an aspiring umpire and is now on the ATP tour full time, and an absolutely amazing umpire and fair play to him for listening to all the stick that everyone gives him when he <laughs> takes it in his stride. Yeah. Um, but I guess Igor was testing him. So Fergus understood Italian perfectly. So Igor starts out with, you know, a, a, a violation for audible obscenity. So, and Igor tries to say, well, I didn't say that. Fergus is like, I know what you said. You said this. This means that violation. Okay. The second one was for, for racket abuse. Okay. So bounces racket, code violation, racket abuse, Mr. Gowdy. So now he, next, the next violation, he's gone. So I win the first set, 6-4. Maybe I break him to go 3-2 up in the second set. And he launches the ball up in the air. Now, it wasn't like out of the stadium. We're playing on a, on a court surrounded by four fences. So he just hits it straight up. <clears throat> the wind takes it a little bit. So it's moving towards the back fence. And it hits the bar, the top bar on the fence. Now, if it goes to the right, it comes back into the court. He's safe. If it goes to the left... Now it's ball abuse because it's gone out. You cannot hit a ball in anger out of the court. (laughs) Which way does it go? Left. Yes. So Fergus goes, so Fergus says, okay, Mr. Gowdy, uh, that's a violation again. So he calls the referee down. They have walkie-talkies. So I'm sitting in the chair and Igor is pleading not to be defaulted, saying, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. But Fergus is like, well, you hit the ball in anger and it went out and put a hit somebody. But it was three miles an hour no difference so then the referee had a little discussion with Fergus and lo and behold Igor was defaulted so um, okay now I look back and I go like at the time I was delighted because I got into another round and I actually made the semi-finals that week so more like more points and so on so on but um, it was very fun and to this day we, we, we you know he's coaching a lot of kids in Italy so I always tell them, I always ask them, how's their temperament? Because he was a quite fiery individual. I said, yeah. I hope they don't have your temperament. And he goes, no, no, I try and make sure that they're quiet. But yeah, um, yeah no, it was, it was one of those, it's the only match I ever won through default. Um, but I, th- I guess the initial part where he's trying to convince Fergus but that what he said wasn't a swear word was hilarious because all these officials would be not, not fluent in the languages, but they'd know all the swear words. So yeah. I think he's trying to trying to pull the wool over his eyes. And Fergus, being the umpire, he was very strong, plays by the rules, caught him out on it. So it was it was funny. So that's that's one for you, Igor. <laughs> no, it's a brilliant story. Um, and now I think we'll leave it there, Alan. It was it was it was really brilliant to talk to you. And just a big thank you for for your time and for all you've you've, you've done for for Irish tennis and also just for for talking today. It's it's much appreciated. Thank you, Adam. And can I just say to everybody who's helped me along the way from six years of age up until now. Um, I just want to say a big thanks to everybody. Uh, there's too many to mention, 
all the students I've coached, you've given me great pleasure over the years. Uh, some are easier than others, but that's part and parcel of, of, of life. And I've learned along the way. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everybody and uh, thank you for this and keep doing the good work for Irish tennis. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. A big thank you once again to Owen for his time um, for his, his brilliant answers uh, for all he's done for Irish tennis as well. Um, and thank you for listening to this this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please please subscribe, leave a comment, uh, tell a friend and uh, help to spread the word to and get the podcast into the right hands. And until next time, so please join me again next week for another another brand new episode. And until next time, I've been Adam and goodbye.